Welcome to KidTech, the podcast series about the people and influencers behind the kids' digital media space. My name is Dylan Collins. I'm the CEO of Super Awesome. Today, we are in London. I am with Nick Marsh, who is Chief Product Officer for Wonderly, the world's leading personalized book company. Nick, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, last time we saw each other was in New York. That's right. Um, uh, today, I think, is, is, is a much more civilized environment. Um, can you, first of all, talk about you? Who are, who are you and, and, and how did you get here and how did you become Chief Product Officer in, in Wonderly? Sure. I mean, it's a happy accident. It's a very grand title for, you know, not terribly big companies. So we're only about 50 people. Right. Um, but yeah, my, my job title is Chief Product Officer at Wonderly. So I look after all the product development um, and the digital product management at Wonderbly. Mm -hmm. So that's all of the books and, uh, and the development of Wonderbly.com. And my background is design, design consultancy, working right. in design agencies and consultancies pretty much my whole career. I did a design degree. And so this is my first kind of in-house gig, I hmm. guess, that I've had. Um, and yeah, you know, Happy Accident came about through a personal friendship with Asi Shuabi, who's a CEO. Right. We'd worked together in a design agency and when he just raised the first kind of meaningful funding round for what was then called Lost My Name, mm -hmm. turned into Wonderbly. Um, my startup that I'd had a go at was collapsing. And he said, come on board um, and haven't really looked back. And, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful company to work for. And, you know, for people listening who don't know what you are um, or maybe knew what you once were, what, what, what does Wonderbly do? So Wonderbly, we're the world's leading personalized book company, mm -hmm. you said in the intro. And we make beautiful personalized books for kids. Mm -hmm. They make amazing gifts. Um, we are the biggest personalized book company in the world, I think. Um, we have about 25 titles that we've released now. Mm -hmm. Uh, for different ages, different occasions, um, cutting across kind of quite a broad range of sort of gifting moments and gifting relationships. Um, and yeah, we, we sort of like to think about our role in terms of what we do for customers. We spent a long time trying to sort of get to the bottom of what we do. Right. And so uh, what we think we do through the products that we make and that we enable people to give to kids is inspire self-belief in children. Hmm. And we want to be ultimately in the kind of self-belief industry right. and, uh, and, and help parents and grandparents and all kinds of people show kids all over the world that whatever story they want can be their story. And we do that through the personalized books that we make. The self-belief in industry. That is, <laughs> that is fascinating. I'm going to come back to that. Um, but are you, are you, I mean, do you consider yourself, I suppose the company evolves and grows, do you consider yourself more an entertainment company? I mean, you, you, you mentioned the word book a lot. Yeah. Is that, that's part of the DNA? Yeah. So we're a, we're a publishing company and the business mm. model is, is publishing. Right. Um, it's just that we don't sort of fit into a lot of the industry structures of the rest of the publishing industry. So same mm. kind of unit economics and dynamics in terms of how we go about making the products and so on, but just very different distribution channels and very different kind of uh, ways of thinking about it. So we, we do think as well as a publishing company, right. but we're absolutely a technology powered publishing company. Right. right. And so, you know, our engineering team and the software that we build is very important to our business. And just to sort of follow up with your question, we do aspire to become an entertainment company, mm -hmm. but at the moment, absolutely, it's books and we're a publishing company. Right. And and can you talk about the history? Um, I mean, because I remember when you, when you came into the, the the publishing space and 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 you did so, I guess to your point, I don't know if the word is disruption, but certainly you came in with with, with a very different approach to everything, and it's gone extremely well. Um, it all started with lost my name, mm -hmm. um, but maybe you can you can sort of talk a little bit about the origins. Yeah, so um, just to be clear, I'm not founder of the company, so I wasn't. Uh, but I was kind of there at the beginning when Asi originally created the book because we used to work together in this in this design agency, as I mentioned. Um, so I do know, you know, I guess the whole the whole story. 
Uh, I think Assi likes to say that it was a side project that went horribly well. And so it did begin just as a passion project. A group of guys wanted to create a better personalized book. Mm. And they used their sort of skills in illustration and writing as two creative co-founders, as well as business and, uh, and technology to, sort of, to create this product that was called Lost My Name. Mm. Um, and that was launched as a side project. Um, that really took off um, and obviously was a beautifully designed product, much, mm. much better personalised book than anyone else had made previously across right. many dimensions. You know, so. And was, was, was that the design? Was that the technology? Was that all of it? So I think it's like a lot of these sort of vertically integrated consumer um, sort of, I guess, like direct-to-customer e-commerce businesses. It was, a, it was everything. Right. So the, you know, the shopping experience was much better. The website was really easy to use. Right. The book was better. It had a really well-written story with beautiful mm. art. It took a lot of time over the um, over the concept. Um, the physical product design was better. It took a lot of time to sort of source the right paper and make sure it was well made. And then I think you know perhaps the, the biggest thing was that the digital marketing and the marketing approach was more sophisticated and better. Mm. And so all those things kind of came together to create an overall, just much much better personalized book proposition than had existed before. So they launched the product, um, a lot of word of mouth marketing, and famously were on Dragon's Den mm. and, um, and sort of raised, raised some funding through that. And then the business really took off with the arrival of Facebook marketing. Mm. And so the first sort of two or three years of the company from about 2013 through to about 2017 or so, um, you know, the story is, is absolutely this, this sort of integration of an amazing product with the perfect marketing platform. Right. And the Lost My Name book is the perfect Facebook product. It's a lovely thing to sort of discover in a social setting where you're talking to your friends and thinking about your social life. It's really easy to buy online. It's remarkable. It's different. It's something you haven't seen before. Mm. Um, makes a great gift and it's the right price point. And it also scales very easily in terms of um, inter international growth and so on. So in 2014, made the move into different languages and um, started to grow the, grow the product. So it was a sort of beautiful product that met the perfect marketing channel. Yeah. There's a bit ahead of the game on a lot of other people in terms of using the Facebook marketing platform. Right. Um, and so that explains a lot of the sort of very explosive growth that happened in 2014, 2015. Uh -huh. So in that time, company raised VC funding. Uh -huh. and it was really a kind of bit of a crazy period in terms of the development of the company and uh -huh. the sort of hiring and growth and, and so on. I would say during that period, we knew we had a hit product. So I joined the company in 2014, right. originally um, to look after the website, I think it was a job description, um, but sort of product manager of the website, sort of first product person there. Um, and then, you know, as, as, as it grew, obviously, uh, we had to sort of start asking the question, why, you know, why is it growing? And of course, there's the product element and the, the marketing element, but there's something going on there in terms of what it was doing for customers. So in terms of the sort of, do you want me to go into like the full, the full story from here? And like, well, that's, that's yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in, in also sort of how, <clears throat> It's evolved from "Lost My Name," which, which I mean, you know, you you were synonymous with. I mean, it was literally the name of the company, right? Mm -hmm. Into sort of wonderfully, yeah. And I think particularly like what you learned after that. I mean, because "Lost My Name" just came along, and, and personalized books had been done before, mm -hmm. but it really blew up. I mean, it Absolutely, was, it was yeah. phenomenally sort of um, uh, successful. Um, yeah. I mean, "Lost My Name" is the perfect gift, right? It's the perfect gift. So you know, the um, one of the reasons it's so successful is the um, incredible number of sort of segments and moments that it appeals to. Mm. So even though it's personalized and highly specific, it's actually doing that thing that all the best books and all the best entertainment properties do, which is super mass appeal. Right. So it works as a gift for newborns, for birthdays, for Christmas, for kids sort of between the age of zero to maybe six, 
can be bought by mums and dads and grannies and grandpas and aunts and uncles and friends and colleagues and all mm-hmm. kinds of people. Right, right. Um, uh, for boys and girls, and it works in all languages all over the world. Right, yeah. So yeah. it's just, you know, it's a super, super broad appeal product. But what did you, I mean, you know, you must have learned a lot of lessons along the way in terms of building that and, and then scaling yeah, yeah. that out. What what were the surprises, I suppose, specifically with Lost My Name? And, and then let's go into sort of the evolution to other products. Yeah, I think, you know, so in 2016 um, or thereabouts, we started to think about obviously what was next beyond this single book. Mm. Um, and there was various routes kind of available. In hindsight, it all sounds terribly thought through. I'm not quite sure how thought through it was at the time. <laughs> but obviously we could have, you know, we could have doubled down on Lost My Name as a brand, mm. as a sort of creative property. And we did do some product experimentation there. We did some kind of posters and some, you know, personalized card games and um, mm. looked at other kinds of other kinds of products, soft toys, things like that. Right. So that was one route. The other route was to kind of say, no, this is a publishing business and we're going to make other personalized books. Right. Which we also experimented with and we did release our first um, second personalized book. Uh, which is called The Incredible Intergalactic Journey Home at the end of 2015. Uh-huh. company was still called Lost My Name at the time. Um, and I guess, you know, through speaking to customers and thinking a little bit about, you know, what we actually just wanted as people working in the company, and mm. the leadership of the company, what we were most interested in, what we thought sort of had the biggest platform going forward. Mm. Um, we felt that that the whilst the creative was very, very strong, and now we are trying to develop Lost My Name into a brand, mm. um, the bigger opportunity was in in doing more books um, right. and, and kind of trying to appeal to different kinds of customer segments, different gift occasions, different ages, that kind of stuff mm. um, by by creating more products. So in 2017, we rebranded as Wonderbly mm-hmm. and that was the year that we released a kind of proper portfolio of products. So we right. had five books in that year, mm. including a partnership with Roald Dahl. Right. And that was the sort of moment we said, no, you know, we're kind of going bigger than one book. We're going bigger than one book. We're turning ourselves into a children's publisher. Mm. And then as that sort of proceeded, we sort of started to, I guess, kind of like see the depth of opportunity there in terms of the number of products and the role of personalization in books, but also moving beyond kids as well, ultimately, is what we want to do. Right. And and how do you think about sort of the, the, the average age of your readers today? Um, I mean, that the, like that probably skews maybe all over the map, or what, what's the sweet spot? Yeah, so the the books, I think like a lot of kids' um, properties, they sort of, uh, they age down, but they don't age up. Mm-hmm. So we do find people buying the books for much younger children than we create them for. Hmm. And uh, quite often as, you know, very early stage gifts, sort of newborn gifts and, and right. first birthday gifts and oh, that kind of stuff. And that's the association with, I think, personalization and putting mm. initials on things and that kind of stuff. People have that, that thinking. Um, we've, you know, consistently tried to push the age up. Uh, it's more challenging and frankly, it's more interesting, I think, to kind of create a development for slightly older kids. Right. Um, so at the moment, the books kind of top out at maybe like eight or nine, really. Um, we are starting to do some books which are designed to be read alone. Uh, by by a child, we've done a book called "You Are Extraordinary," which is a sort of self belief journal for kids that's designed to kind of encourage them to think about themselves and their aspirations and ambitions and so on. Very sort of direct expression of the brand, and that's mm. to be read alone. We've done a comic book called "The Power Within," mm. graphic novel, uh, to, to sort of you can't really read a, a comic book together. Right. And actually, one of our biggest successes, "Where Are You," which is now a book that outsells "Lost My Name," it's one of the first times that that's happened to us. Wow. Um, which is a sort of pers- personalized search and find adventure. Which is a kind of self, a self-reading experience, it's a sort of Where's Wally type book, um, where you find yourself in parallel universes, and thus realise that you can be anything you want in the universe. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's going older, but still definitely the the bulk of the of the sort of kids uh, ages that we sell to are under six. Right. Is there an adjacency between what you're doing and 
some of the I suppose the movement in the the meditation space, particularly around kids, because I guess self belief and sort of meditation and calmness are roughly within in, in the same the same yard. Just the way you speak about it, yeah, is I very think so. You know, we we do want to help kids be more uh, resilient, um, more more kind, more empathetic, uh, right. You know, and more self aware. Um, we don't tend to. Uh, wrap up any of our marketing our books in any of that direct language mm. we like people to kind of infer it we have found slight differences in how we need to approach marketing in the US versus the UK you know in the states people like to be told exactly what the book's going to do right. whereas in the UK we find that customers want to sort of figure it out for themselves um, so yeah you know I think our books uh, they are designed to make kids feel more self-confident more uh, and have more self-belief that is at the heart of the mission right um, but at the moment we're not we're not sort of overtly wrapping it in in any language around um, yeah you know resilience and that kind of stuff. And you talked about um, sort of moving beyond books a little bit. You launched uh, the curious case of the McBoggle. Yeah. Which was what you described as a mystery kit series. Yeah. So that was a really exciting experiment that we did in twenty eighteen. Right. Um, and. So, so that was that was basically a pack. Yeah, so that's a non-personalized product. Yeah. Uh, it was brought to us by um, uh, a producer that now works for Wannabe called Katie Balfour, who'd previously mm. worked for Punch Drunk, you know, a right. kind of immersive theater company. Mm-hmm. She, she'd worked in the education space there. And she developed that idea. That's one of the few products we've done where a sort of outside creative has come to us and said, I've got an idea. Right. Uh, so we saw her idea. Uh, I immediately wanted to hire her. So now she's now the lead producer of all of our children's books, mm-hmm. um, which is a super talented, creative person. Um, and But she came with this product called The Curious Case of the Magboggle. Right. It's a really uh, challenging idea. So the idea is that it allows you to put together a little kind of immersive experience for a child at home where they get some letters from a, um, the Society of Mystery Keepers run by this person called Alberta Black. And they have to help um, chase out a magboggle from the home. So there's a magboggle loose in your house, which is a little creature. Um, and you basically um, put together these little little moments with the child where they get some letters and they have to do a spell and that kind of stuff. And by the end of it, they believe that they've chased away this creature. Right. So it's a really great experiment for us in terms of taking the essence of the, of the brand and uh, some of the sort of ideas within the products to do with very personal experiences, a sort of blend of fantasy and reality and playing with that kind of mm. imaginative space between you know, what's real and what's, what's, what's fiction. Um, and you know, t- taking the idea of self belief, believing you can do magic, mm-hmm. and so on, pushing in new directions. Um, the product was uh, very disappointing commercially. Mm. Creatively, I love it, mm. and you know, I wish we could invest more. There is a, there is a whole idea there for a whole series of, of mystery kits. Right. But um, in terms of its commercial success, it's definitely uh, one of the worst performing things we ever launched. Mm. Uh, so so you know, really great experimentation. The kind of thing that you know, I'm proud that we can do. Wonderfully, yeah. Um, but at the moment, we're not planning on making any more mystery kits, right? And I mean, speaking of sort of mystery and experimentation, you recently announced a partnership to enter China, yes, that's right, yeah. Um, with uh, PPMG, uh, how were you starting to think about that market? I mean, I think for any any sort of Western company going into China, it's always you know extremely interesting, yeah. So, this will be kind of round three for us of trying to get into China, right? Okay, um, it's been a long and winding road, um, as I mentioned. Earlier in 2014, it began translating lots of my names mm. different languages, and obviously one of the languages we looked at was Mandarin. Um, we did sort of consumer research in back in 2014 um, with with the translated book, got fantastic reception, went to the Beijing Book Fair and so on, and mm. uh, did, did groups of focus groups and so on. And the book worked really well in China, as uh, so. What we do with the lots of my name book is we uh, have a we have a Mandarin book, and then we use uh, the English language names, 
Right. Um, you can also use like a pinion name from mm. there as well. Mm. Um, but uh, so it's sort of used, it could be used by Chinese parents to help kids learn um, an English name because a lot of Chinese oh, kids have a right. second name that's an English name. So from a product perspective, you know, really fantastic reception in terms of the research that we did. But then, as you said, the challenge is operationally getting it into China. Yeah. So almost every single part of our business model is very challenging to run in China. Yeah. So firstly, um, we actually need to make books and, and publishing is a licensed industry in China. Right. You need to have a state yeah. license to publish books. Secondly, we obviously run an e-commerce um, website, wonderby.com, that relies mm. on lots of third-party services and so on, and none of those work in China because mm. they're all uh, outside the firewall. And then finally, the main way that we distribute our products and make customers aware of them is through Google and Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, neither of which work in China. Right. So uh, it's a really, really, really big challenge. Uh, we did try to go it alone, um, but it didn't work. Uh, so we have developed a sort of very um, specific deal uh, with Phoenix um, for China, whereby they will be licensing the content and they will take care of the manufacturing, the e-commerce, right. services, and the marketing. Right, right. So that's different to how we do it in all other markets. Uh, hmm. I would say that that's a very early stage at the moment. Uh, we haven't yet launched any books with them. We're still kind of in the development hmm. phase. So that's not the way we want to go in any other markets. In right. all other markets, we want to you know, own, own the whole the customer and own the whole experience. But in China, we have to do something different just because of the, the laws and the way that the technology works. And you sell directly. Um, so you're not using Amazon for, for transactions, are you, for, for, for commerce? Uh, no, we do use Amazon Pay on our right. website. Okay, <laughs> um, right. We have tried again. You know, we, we, so we're always looking for new routes to market and yeah. ways to get to the customer. Right. And the, the big ones that the other publishers use are not available to us. So again, I think I mentioned at the beginning that we have the same overall sort of business model as publishers, just completely different um, platforms and, and partnerships. And mm-hmm. So whereas the, the other publishers would use you know, the, the retailers as the distributors, we're using Facebook and Google as our distributor. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, we're paying yeah. them a, a fee, essentially, for each customer that we acquire as compared mm-hmm. to paying a retailer. Mm. Um, Amazon is the is the sort of hybrid there, where it's obviously like a digital platform, but it's also a book retailer. Mm. But the personalized product gets in the way there in terms of us being able to sell right. on Amazon. So we have sold on Amazon custom sometime, but um, that obviously comes with lots of restrictions in terms of the customer experience, how we can, you know, proposition the product we can't offer a preview we also can't uh, really speak mm. to the customers that we get there um, and we can't remarket really to them sell them new books right so we would love to find a way to sell our books with amazon at scale um but at the moment we we really don't invest anything do you see yourself as more and more of a standalone platform in, in that sense i mean if, if if not by deliberate design then almost by default because you're starting to move more into third-party publishing as well right yeah so we have started to that has always been a conversation in the company in terms mm. of the strategic you know, direction you could go in and routes to growth. I think that the uniqueness of the Wonderly Value proposition is the quality of the product design and the cleverness, sophistication of the personalization. Um, and those elements are very difficult to platformize because they mm. come from our creative design team and our product design work that we do. So there are other people, if you, if you have an idea for a, a print-on-demand product, that would mm. be better to partner with. That said, we are increasingly, as we grow and do more of our own products, I think, to sort of internally platformize. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our software and our processes and so on are becoming much more standardized mm-hmm. and more scalable. Um, as mentioned with the China partnership, we're going to be offering a preview and our um, PDF rendering as a service to Phoenix. 
Um, and we have started to start doing some uh, product development work with other brands. We've just announced this really exciting partnership on Monday with the Wizarding World, who are the owners of Harry Potter. Mm. And that's the first time we've done um, some publishing work where we created a personalized book, uh, which they've paid for. So it's a sort of corporate publishing mm. type project, which won't be available on wonderly.com and is only available through wizardingworld.com or through their new app. Mm. And you'll be able to get this incredible new um, journal. It's called the Keys and Curios Journal. Uh, as part of a membership subscription, right. so that's a sort of hmm. interesting new dimension for our brand. You know, we we sort of, um, I guess, the books allow parents and grandparents to show kids uh, how special they are, and we have this idea that we could do something similar with businesses that allow businesses to show their customers how special they are. And so the uh, the work with them uh, is, you know, they, they obviously have a huge engaged fan base, millions and millions of people love Harry Potter. Yeah. And we've created this personalized product that allows those fans to sort of deepen their relationship with the world um, and immerse themselves in, in that content. So do you plan on doing more of that? We'd love to do more of that. Uh, if we can find the right kinds of partners who, mm. who you know can invest the right levels to get the, the right level of quality mm-hmm. uh, of personalized product. Um, you know, again, it's a, in, in a sort of broader view, I guess, it's ultimately about finding those new distribution channels. Mm-hmm. And the Wizarding World are in an amazing position with this direct relationship with loads and loads of uh, very right. engaged fans through the Pottermore, which has now become WizardingWorld.com yeah. uh, world. Um, so we'd like to find other brands yeah, that have direct relationships with with customers. As you spend more and more time in, I suppose, the, the kids and family publishing world, do you feel you're becoming more like a publisher or less like a publisher? I think we are becoming more like a publisher. I certainly see it kind of every every year. We're sort of seeing our hits. Our hits are getting bigger and our flops are getting bigger. So we're seeing, <laughs> right. you know, we're seeing more, you know, a sort of wider spectrum there. Um, and we are increasingly, you know, playing a similar game to publishers, whereby mm. we we want to do more books and it is getting a bit more kind of let's just put stuff out there and see what happens right right uh, so that kind of dynamic is there um, and we we you know ultimately now we've solved a lot of the very complicated kind of operational and technology sort of technological problems that were the core of the business in the early years about how do you even make personalized books mm. how do you scale mm. it how do you stop your website falling over how do you do personalized image rendering those kind of things they're, they're sort of solved problems for us mm. and so now our problems are the problems that all publishers face of a great pipeline of product and how do we get great stories and great great books written and created right and then how do we get them in front of customers hmm. at the right price and so they really are sort of two barriers to growth is the quality of the product pipeline and the availability of the distribution platform and your venture back you've got some you know extremely well-known um, investors on your cap table you've got Chernin and Greycroft and Google Ventures um, and several others. How does the world of venture capital think about publishing? And I mean, and because some of those are, are quite well known Silicon Valley names. Yeah. So I guess how how does how does that world think about? Publishing? I mean, I would say that the investors in Wonderbly, you know, firstly, thanks very much to all the investors in Wonderbly and for believing in us. Um, but the investors that we have uh, involved in the company are a little bit a kind of history of the, the company itself. Mm-hmm. So some of those investors you mentioned, like Google Ventures, uh, came on board during. Uh, series A, mm-hmm. um, and they that was very much when I think the company was framed a bit more as a technology company, right, and the right. growth rates that we were seeing there looked a bit more Silicon Valley style. Mm. Some of our more recent investors, so Ravensburger mm-hmm. in particular, the um, German um, toys and family company, uh, and um, yeah, some of our other 
another German investor, Project A as well, mm. a great, uh, great investor, um, are a little more in line with where we are now in terms mm. of giving us advice around product development and digital marketing and so on. So I think, yeah, you know, it's been it's been a bit of a journey. Google's still involved uh, and, and, you know, great to get their input on, on mm. many different parts of the business. Um, but right now, I guess one of the other big changes, which I didn't mention when we were sort of talking the company story, was that um, in 2018, we made a really big decision to shift the business to profitability mm. and to growing through profits rather than growing through more mm. venture finance. Mm. So sort of from 2014 through 18, we were doing the classic fundraising and, and, sure. and growing uh, and using capital from outside investors. Whereas since then, we have decided to try to become self-funded mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's working well uh, and this year you know hope to hit our, hit our growth targets so again that uh, you know we are we are sort of no longer a Silicon Valley style VC powered company mm. um, but we have some great relationships with those investors and they're very helpful yeah in helping yeah. sort of guide us going forward and um, speaking of startups I mean you know what advice would you have for people who are considering starting a, a publisher a book publisher, you know, in the kids or family space, what have you learned and, and what would you tell them? Hmm, <laughs> that's a big question. I mean, it's a, it's a big space, it's a big and growing space, so there's plenty of room for lots more publishers, and mm. I think if you've got an idea for uh, some amazing new books or new ways of getting books to people, you know, of course, you just go for it. Is it I, I mean, you said it's getting bigger, is it, is it getting easier or harder with that size? Um, I'm not sure, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, as I said, I'm not a sort of kids publishing veteran, so I'm kind of still new to the industry, although mm. I've been, been doing this about five years now. So I do, you know, in my role, do, you know, look at the industry and look at the trends and so on and, uh, and, and track, you know, progress industry. And it's, it is fascinating, the children's book space, and I can see why people get sucked into publishing and stay in it. So overall, it's a quite a conservative industry. Right. It, it grows slightly ahead of, um, uh, you know, the, the economy, I think, driven by trends mm. around uh, kids and education and, um, you know, desire for people to to raise educated kids uh, but it's pretty conservative um, mm. and you get a lot of the same kind of faces and the same ideas sort of wrapped around right. but when you go down a layer below the level of just children's books mm. it starts to become much more dynamic so we look at the different categories and what's popular within a year mm. the categories change a lot year on year mm. um, and when you go down another level and look at titles and authors and brands it's hugely dynamic so year mm. on year you know, who knows which book is going to be the big book of 2020. Right. Nobody knows. Right. It might be a book that was similar to in 2019, but it could be something completely different. Hmm. And one of the amazing things about the publishing industry is always that the biggest success is the thing that is slightly different and never been done before. Hmm. And so as someone that likes innovation and creativity, it's a really interesting market to be in. So overall, it's quite conservative, but then within the publishing space, it's super dynamic and interesting. And every year, you just don't know, you know, especially for us being a very seasonal business. We just mm. don't know what's going to work. We obviously we do as much research and testing and uh, and get as much customer feedback as possible, and we can do a lot more of that than many of our sort of traditional publishing competitors. Right. But uh, you don't know. So I think that the um, it's a it's a you know fascinating industry to be part of, and obviously welcome loads of new people coming on board. I think that you know it, it can feel a little conservative on you know on a macro view, mm-hmm. but inside the industry, of course, it's. Uh, you never know what's going to happen. It's a bit kind of like being a um, stockbroker or something. They're sort of playing the market and seeing, seeing what's going to be successful each year. I don't know. There's, there's a pun in there about self-belief. The industry needing more belief <laughs> yeah, and self-belief yeah. or something like that. Um, very interesting. Well, Nick Marsh, Chief Product Officer with Wonderbly, the world's leading personalized book company. Thank you very much for joining us on Kid Tech today. Thank you for having me.